Welcome, and thank you for joining our monthly podcast series on transforming experiences in healthcare and life sciences, where we discuss transforming patient and employee experiences for today and tomorrow with our hosts, Christy Rowe, Tony Land, and Rich Schwartz. Welcome, everyone, to our second episode in the series on transforming experiences in healthcare and life sciences. I'm Tony Land, head of clinical healthcare experience at Medallia, and I'm excited to introduce our guest for this episode, Mr. Jarvis Gray. Jarvis is an accomplished leader, advisor, speaker, coach, and colleague in the area of quality, continuous improvement, engagement, and retention in healthcare. I mean, you, in fact, Jarvis, are the CEO of the Quality Coaching Company, focusing on Lean Six Sigma in healthcare, and you're also the producer and host of the Healthcare Quality Cast, which is a podcast focused on improving quality and experience in healthcare. So welcome, Jarvis. Welcome. I'm excited that we're going to have the next 20 minutes or so talking, and I know learning a lot from you. Tony, thank you so much for this opportunity, and it's the honor to join and a pleasure to be reconnected with you. So thank you. Yeah, reconnecting because Jarvis and I actually connected over social media. I mean, who would believe that, right? But we connected over social media, and I actually had the honor of being a guest on his quality cast. So now turnabout's fair play, right? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Let's just dig right in and tell us a little bit about yourself and why you choose to serve in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting the way you even kind of set that up because I tell everybody, Tony, healthcare chose me. I accidentally landed in healthcare, but graduated from the University of Miami. I'm an industrial engineer by background and started my career in electric utilities and did that for a few years before making the transition into healthcare. Just because I was leaving an opportunity, I'd never envisioned myself being in healthcare. And within the first year, I knew that I kind of found my calling, had a few conversations with the HR team that I worked with at that time to figure out how to actually grow a career in healthcare. And that's really been the passion. So I came in in about 2007, 100% of the work that I've done has been quality process improvement. And again, you know, that calling to serve was really from my experiences outside of healthcare coming in around project management and the the tools, the skill sets that I came in with, I saw that there were still so many opportunities for healthcare to be better at doing projects, at doing process improvement, at doing strategic planning even. And so that's what I've built my career around since 2007. And that was the one gap that I felt that I can fill And that's really been it. I tell everyone, you know, I'm a one trick pony, but it's a pretty important (laughs) trick. So, yeah, I mean, I love that. I mean, when you think about an engineering background coming in, some people might say, "Okay, how does that really apply to healthcare?" But we all have our supply to make and it takes everyone bringing that to the table in order to truly create change. And I can say this because I live and breathe the healthcare world, like I was born and raised, but we need help around process improvement and really becoming lean organization. So I think your work could not be more timely than it is right now. Now, you've been in the industry, what, 14 plus years, really focused, you know, on quality outcomes and process improvement. And so if you had to think about What's been your biggest learning 
what would you share with us? What would you say? What I've really kind of settled on, especially as I've made the transition from my corporate life into growing a business to support groups around us now, I've taken away that everybody likes change, but no one likes to be changed, right? So, so many of the groups out there, they're really focused on driving organizational excellence and organizational success, and they want to use quality improvement as that vehicle But again, there's a lot of groups that are, there's just still so many opportunities for improvement. So some of the must-haves that I've really been centered on as I've framed up even how I'm planning to support groups long-term, first center around active leadership. And so that's kind of moving from just being the sponsor, you know, being the support, the cheerleader for quality process improvement teams, for really getting that focus to have executives actively engaged and very intentional with the work that their teams are doing. Also having a results-driven kind of governance structure and governance model behind the different improvement efforts. Having strategic alignment. So big aha moment. A few years ago, as I was still working in my corporate capacity, I took on a role around strategy as well. And they are so connected. And I don't think we always kind of give that the credit that it needs. But, you know, your strategy, your improvement projects and so forth, they have to be connected. We have to do a better job of getting that alignment. Having a proven approach, right? So that's where my focus for Lean and Six Sigma, these are proven tools. They are systematic. They are, again, they're very intentional. And they can be rolled out at any point. Having great incentives. So, How do we incentivize the group to accept the change? Not just having bonus points and things like that for recognition, but really having strong incentive plans to the point maybe it's even profit sharing for some of the cost-saving initiatives that go on. But I think it's time to kind of really push the limit there. And the last one, Tony, is having a data-driven mindset. So being much better about how we separate our leading and lagging metrics and how do we intentionally start to impact those for improvement. It's the process and then the outcomes, and we need to get better and clearer on how we drive those. So so those are a mix of learnings. And, you know, again, I, I thought this was such a big, impressive question, and that's kind of where my mind settled. I know there was a bunch of bullets, but those are my thoughts. And some impactful bullets also. I mean, like, there's so many things that are going off in my head right now. But, you know, one of the things you said that totally resonates with me is alignment, alignment, alignment. You know, from strategy, and I think you even said process and outcomes. So from strategy to process to outcomes, you know, where's the alignment from top down around all those initiatives? I totally agree. And we forget how hard change is. You know, we say we want to go on this change journey. We picture the end, but we forget that it is a journey. There's steps to getting there. It's not going to happen overnight. And are we willing to truly put the work and the structure in? that's going to facilitate, and I will say even sustain that change. And so you talked a little bit about working with healthcare and CEOs and that CEO and executive leadership. As you're looking at them to drive better decisions and and really create some better results for their organizations, have you noticed common challenges or hurdles that, you know, typically many of them are facing that really are barriers and inhibit them from focusing on growth for the organization? Healthcare leadership is such a dynamic role just before things like global pandemics. (laughs) 
our executives now, I, I want to pay a lot of respect to our executives. They are pulled in so many different directions today. You know, when I look across the business of healthcare, you see so many different mergers and acquisitions, consolidations, all these things are going on. So I see a lot of healthcare executives today, they're trying to figure out how to balance those local priorities within their the four walls of their hospitals or within their organizations. And then they're getting pulled in different directions with their system focus, whatever that new conglomeration that they're being pulled into. And so from my experience, and this will be the call out to your question, I see a lot of misalignment kind of back to that focus again between the day-to-day tasks that many executives get pulled in and then the bigger strategic goals that they should be focused on. And that's where I try to coach when I get the opportunity to connect with them is always pulling them back to that mission that they're truly on, you know, being out available to round and engage with their teams. You know, in the the PI world, we call them gimbal walks, but Mm -hmm. I want you out in the gimba with your teams. I want you on projects with your teams. I want you hands-on supporting all of the work they're doing. And I, I see the barrier just being that information overload. You know, they're always in reaction mode. And so getting our executives out of that point and helping them see that that bigger mission, that bigger strategy, that they should be targeting the goals that their teams are working on. Those are some of the key points and conversations when I get those one-on-ones to, to inform them how their teams are doing. And I try to use the guilt trip, almost like when you're a parent that's always at work and you're never home with the kids, that guilt trip, like, you know, your kids miss you today. So that's, that's the same feeling I try to instill to pull them back so they go hang out with their teams again. Yeah, I love that that parent example. And I think that can resonate, you know, for so many out there. But, you know, you said something around mergers and acquisitions. And I do think you see so much of that across healthcare, whether you're in the provider or the payer space. And where is that here again, going back to that word around alignment, where is that alignment and how are they utilizing standard process in order to create standard work, even in those times? No, absolutely. And that word standard work, I think it throws us in a lot of different directions because from the executive seat, when you hear standard work, you're probably thinking, thank goodness, like now I know what to expect when I go meet with my teams and, and we can make all the work we're doing more predictable. But then when you talk to your frontline teams and definitely some of your, your care providers and physicians, they're thinking cookie cutter, you want to turn me into a robot. So there's just a lot of friction that can be created when you start seeing standard work. But the takeaway as I'm connecting with folks, and that's obviously what I push. I want standard work. I want, you know, the reduction of variation. I want the elimination of wastes and standard work is the, is that mechanism. I'm pushing to help them understand that it's not a bad thing. You have to use food examples, right? So, you know, when we go to different restaurants, if I have my favorite restaurant and it exists in two different cities, standard work is what allows me to order the same thing twice with the same level of quality. And so just helping teams understand the value of standard work and the benefit that it pulls before our executives, they need it. They also need their leadership standard work. So we hear that term thrown out a lot in lean vernacular. And to me personally, it's not just what's my checklist for today. I think that's how a lot of people tend to attack it. But it's, again, understanding What's our vision? What's our mission? What's the strategy that we're really trying to achieve? And then what are those core processes that get us there? 
are we doing those things on a daily basis or whatever time frame that's most appropriate? That becomes a standard work that we need to make sure we're filling in to make sure that work is happening. So yeah, the concepts of standard work, it still needs a little bit more work, but I think the clarity comes, the teams that get it, they do it very well. Yeah, and the teams that get it and have the wins, they're brought in from then on. So you think about even healthcare and all the data, all the metrics, all the benchmarks, you know, that are out there. Are there certain metrics and benchmarks that you sort of live by? The two metrics that I would share, you know, with your leaders and your audience that that plug in with this conversation, Tony, would be first, understanding how do you measure the effectiveness of your strategy or, you know, the implementation of your strategy, the execution of your, your annual operating plans, you know, whatever your teams may call it, but how do you measure the effectiveness of it? Um, very simple metric to maybe get started with could be around, you know, what percent of our strategic plan was successfully implemented this year or over a specific time frame, you know, per quarter, what have you. Those are different things, again, just to always kind of point your leadership teams in the right directions and then understand all the subsequent work and activities that should be supporting the execution. This second metric, I'd say it revolve around the measurement of your meeting effectiveness. So we get pulled into a lot of meetings in our day-to-day work. How effective are each of those meetings? I recently read this book, Death by Meetings, has a great framework for doing meetings, but then there's another book, but it talks about level 10 meetings. And so essentially that the mindset there, every meeting has a standard framework, a standard agenda, but at the end of each one of these meetings, the team vote on a scale of one to team, how effective was the meeting? And if that meeting ranks lower than an eight, then you basically kind of do a really quick PDSA on why was it less than an eight? What can we do to get it above an eight? And so again, how effective are the meetings? If we're going to spend the time doing them, then let's make sure they're providing value as well. And Tony also said one other thing, and that's, you know, what kind of wins do we have? At the end of the last question, I just want to say that's very important, especially in the world of process improvement. This is all about getting the work done right? Providing more value to our customers, to our stakeholders, and ultimately keeping our teams safe and engaged in the work they're doing. So winning is very important. And I I want teams to realize that, you know, championship teams, you know, Tom Brady in the NFL, he's not a winner just by chance. He loves to win and he loves to do all the things it takes to win. And winning championships is not easy. It's a discipline. It's a habit. So winning is very important. But when you start to get those wins through quality, through service, you're going to want to keep doing it. So very important to the teams you're working with. Wow, that's great. That's great. And not that I'm a Tom Brady fan, but <laughs> but he has definitely proven that he's a winner, right? And he has some standard processes and process and work in place that has definitely proven time and time again that he can win. Now, there's something you said when you were talking about achieving your goals. You were talking about achieving those organizational and company goals that have been set out there. And I love your thoughts around being able to consistently and continually, I will even say, give updates on your progress in those goals. So even looking at from, you know, the data, how are you measuring that versus it being every month, every quarter, there's being an update. How do we put things in place? And I'll add to that question. Do you think technology plays a role in that and has a space in that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd have to say, Tony, my my thoughts about it, one is you can't be successful without having a system or a process to continuously, you know, review your strategy, review your progress, review your data and pull it all together. That's why I'd have to go back even to that meeting effectiveness mindset. So don't just meet to meet. Right. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of groups can get into that pattern. They just they just show up. Right. If you have a very certain, a very specific process for your entire meeting structure, so this is the executive meeting, this is what we cover. This is the strategy meeting, this is what we cover. These are the project meetings, this is what we cover. I think that's part one of how I would start to frame that up. But then for those strategy meetings, again, if it is every month, every quarter, whatever the mix is, you need to establish a standard process, back to standard work, for meeting to talk through strategy, to refresh the strategy, to revamp the strategy. I was fortunate many years ago, probably 2012 more or less, to work with a CEO where we had monthly strategy meetings and everybody literally had to come to that meeting with your strategic plan in hand and she would just go down the list, you know, okay, strategy number one, Jarvis, where are you? And I'd provide the respective updates. And we have one situation, you know, the, the expectation in that is you are going to provide an update to your outline strategy. And if you can't provide an update, you essentially have to share what did you work on instead? What was more important than that strategy? Because then we need to have the conversation, should that be on the strategic plan instead? And there was only one example that I saw a leader come unprepared. And let's just say it only happened one time. You know, the conversations then become really uncomfortable if you're doing work, not aligned with strategy. But then that obviously, again, involves data. How do we keep our finger on the pulse of action, on the pulse of results? Breaking down again, we mentioned the leading and the lagging indicators. The outputs, the indicator, the the lagging indicators, you know, that's just a reflection of the process. So what are the process improvement and elements that are going on that are driving changes in your output? So, yeah, they all need to be connected. I love the role of technology, what that can do nowadays. You know, I, I'm, I'm old school, Tony. I, I started back on TI-83 calculators, and now I'm seeing tools that are coming through. The more technology, I think that supports it, the better. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing even the, the elements that are coming from your team. Yeah, I'm excited. The, the role of technology, I think, is really going to bring us closer to the data, getting us more real time on all the things we're trying to do, especially when you're doing process improvement or you're doing patient experience, you know, those things tend to lag. So the more real time, the better, right? So I I geek out on this kind of stuff though. Well, I do too. And you're definitely speaking my language. And I don't know if you've read the book for DX, the four discipline of executions, but so a big fan of, of that book and that work and, and what you're speaking to reminds me of the wildly important goals, you know, what's your wig, the wildly important goals, and how do you have a, not just a scorecard for the corporates, you know, and the execs, but where's the scoreboard on that, you know, unit level where on a regular basis, whether it's a daily for some or weekly, you have real time data back on how you're progressing towards those goals you have put out there. And I think being able to use technology to get that real time data for those scoreboards, I think that can be a game changer for teams. Well, and I always draw on football analogies because I, I had the experience as a former football player. But think about in sports, right? You know, when, when the teams are moving up and down the, the field or, or if it's basketball up and down, you know, the court, 
they literally have the scoreboard in front of them. So that dictates how active they are or, you know, it dictates their overall strategy when they can see the time remaining, the score, how many points they're up or down. We don't have that on a regular basis in our healthcare environments. So that's that's a huge opportunity. And the another call out to, to throw one more football analogy in there, but I was fortunate enough to play down at the University of Miami and it was at a time, you know, 2000, 2001, we won the national championship. But when I look at what we, we had a very successful season 2000 and the amount of work it took us, you know, to go from the off season in 2000 to preparing for a championship season was tremendous. And so that's what I want to impart also on our healthcare leaders that plug in with this conversation to be a good group and to now say, we're, we're going to win a championship. It takes a lot more work. You can't do the same things over and over. You've got to prepare harder, be more intentional, be more strategic. And, and, you know, that's again, trying to connect a, a football or a sports reference to what we're doing as leaders, but that's the mindset. You know, you got to come back harder, stronger, faster, bigger, if you want to go for the championship. And I think we're all in a position where we have to say we're going for a championship every season. So anything less than that is unacceptable for our patients and our communities. Yes, you're exactly right. So as we kind of wrap up our time together for improving healthcare experiences, what would that wish be? So my one big wish, Tony, and I tell everybody, so my, my goal is to work myself out of a job. And I think my wish would be, you know, seeing the day when healthcare doesn't need us to do the cheerleading and the rah-rah and the support and the coaching, when everybody owns that quality, safety, service, and experience are their jobs. Like, it's not a department. It's everybody's responsibility. And they, they can look at me and say, Jarvis, thanks, but we're good. We got this. That's my wish. You know, I, I want to get there and then I'll figure out something else to do. I'm sure there's other industries that could use a Jarvis. But yeah, if we could work ourselves out of a job, Tony, that'd be interesting. It'd be cool. But I, again, I think that's the needed culture and the needed you know, mindset for healthcare. Yeah, I love that wish. And I think it's the wish for from us too, as healthcare providers and caregivers. I just think sometimes we don't know how to get there. And so that's why we need people like you to come alongside and take us on a journey, hold our hand and and take us on a journey so that one day we are, you know, in the eyes of a parent, we're all grown up and you're able to leave us on our own. So this has been great conversation and, and hopefully people have a couple of nuggets, you know, that they can take away everything from standard work is not a bad word to alignment, alignment, alignment is everything, you know, driving the strategy for your organization. Do you have a scoreboard that's keeping track of the regular work process improvement initiatives that you have going on, not only organizationally, but down even to the unit and or practice or department level? So that's just a few right off the top of my head. So many good nuggets in here that I'm sure I'm going to listen to it several times. So that I can reiterate those to others. You know, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. And I know that you and I will talk again soon. Thank you. I look forward to it, Tony. Thank you very much. What did you think of today's conversation? What did you find most interesting? If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. And if you have suggestions for future topics, let us know. 
To learn more about transforming experiences, visit Medallia.com. Tune in to the next podcast. Until then, stay healthy and safe.